Bandwidth for this week in photography is brought to you by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This Week in Photography is brought to you by Drobo. Find out how you can get your own Drobo at drobo.com slash twip. This week on the show, losing your gear at the airport, shooting video with a still press pass, and a review of the Sigma 50 with Ryan Brenizer from Amazon.com. Right here on This Week in Photography, number 52. Hey everyone, this is Alex, and I've taken taken over the helm yet again. Uh, but Scott is here. Scott uh, is coming in from Gig Harbor. Welcome to this week in photography. In case you wondered where you were, <laughs> well, I figure you know they did download it. You know, it's not like they're tuned into a uh, to a if radio. They downloaded station. the other sixteen podcasts you do. They wouldn't know which one it was. <laughs> I like to keep them guessing. That's the way I like. That's the way I roll. You know, I keep it. You know, you have to you have to listen for the first five or ten minutes before you understand which this week you're listening to. You know, that's the uh, which week you're in. You know, really. Uh, also coming in from New York, uh, Steve Simon. Hey, Steve. Hey guys, so why why Alex do you use a, a Boston accent when you say gig harbor? Because it just sounds like it should be gig harbor. You know, okay. it, 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 there's no good reason for it. There's not. It, it definitely doesn't belong. But I don't. Re- there's not really a I Seattle like accent. Can you use a Boston accent throughout the whole show today? Do you think or? <laughs> Let's not pretend we did. How's that? All right, fair enough. Uh, and, uh, I'm tempted, but I'm not going to do it. It's right up there with Jar Jar. So, um, uh, also coming in from uh, Seattle as well, uh, but I'm not going to use the the uh, the uh, Boston accent for Seattle. Um, Ron Brinkman, actually. Oh, you're not Boston. You keep- Ron Brinkman keeps us guessing. First, he's in Seattle. Then he's he was in here Redondo last week, and I know it because I picked him up at his apartment. That's right. We had a good lunch. So you're down in Hermosa for the weekend? Yep. Came back down. It was getting too cold in Seattle. It's too hot in San Francisco right now. Ugh. Anyway, so, so the, you know, all the sun, you know, I, we, you know, the sun starts breaking out in San Francisco. And next thing you know, you know, it's 80 degrees. And it's, it's, all I know is whenever I have to start, just stop wearing flip-flops. It's unacceptable. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, I'm from Pittsburgh. I can wear flip-flops, flip-flops into uh, February. So, um. You know, you just have to you just have to harden yourself. That's I all. still am, but you know, <laughs> noticeable. Now. I'm actually aware of my toes. Just a reminder: uh, we are still linking to TwipPhoto.com. Uh, Scott, well, can you uh, fill everybody in on this? Yep, the link contest is in its waning weeks. Just waning. a couple of weeks to go. If you want a chance to win a thousand dollars worth of prizes, Lightroom, Aperture, JBL reference earphones, a couple of copies of my books, On One Software Essentials for Photoshop Elements. We got a gadget bag, copy of DV Matt from Pixel Core Course, VMware Fusion, a bunch of stuff. It's all going to go out in a box to somebody. You have to be 18 years or older, and you must be a U.S. resident to play. Link from your blog or your website to twipphoto.com. We're going to pick the winner October 31st and leave those links up because we're going to do another contest for next quarter starting the very next day. Excellent. Uh, in the news, uh, we've got... Oh, man. You know, all of us worry about this. This is t- an airport TSA security screener busted uh, for stealing... Uh, well, he stole a c- one camera worth $47,900, which is from an HBO crew, um, and uh, put it put it on eBay. <laughs> <That> was- <laughs> <laughs> Talk about like you know. Darwin There's Wars. a genius for you. <laughs> but they they um, they found in his house sixty six cameras, twelve GPS units, eleven MP three players, thirty one laptops, 
eight camera lenses, two DVD players, six video cameras, 13 pieces of jewelry, and 17 video games uh, were found in his house when it was raided last week. So does he live at Best Buy? Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> My God. So this is a, he's a six-year veteran of TSA. This is exactly the issue where, you know, you get these people that say, well, why are you worried about all this security? About that? Don't, don't you trust the government? <laughs> no. <laughs> it's not about trusting the government. It's about trusting people that work yeah. for the government. And no, I don't trust them. But this guy could not have been one of those guys where you put your stuff in. This has got to be checked luggage, right? I mean, yeah, it's, um, this is checked luggage. You, you'd yeah. notice it if it was some, and, and it'd be difficult to take. You know, they, they're pretty careful when you're going through, and this is why. This is one of the reasons I don't. You know, I have check yet bags. to check in my camera queen, with the odd exception, very odd exception. I will not do that. I guess you know my my fears are, are reinforced now with this happening. Check bag is a lost or stolen bag is my rule. Yeah, I, I don't put go. anything in it that I'm not willing to lose. You know, I mean, that's that's. I mean, if, if I have to check it, and it's very, very rare. And of course, um, now when you're on the plane, TSA doesn't bother to steal anything; they just go through after you get off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the uh, uh, yeah. It, it, this is. I mean, this is what all of us worry about. You know, this is the thing that you that you talk about of of, of having to deal with uh, checking your bags. And one of the things that's kind of a pain in the neck about traveling in the United States, to be honest. I mean, you go into another country and you can lock your bags up. You know, like really. You put that plastic seal around your bags. Don't you love that? I, it's like I have done it. I, if I mean, I'm checking I, through it's certain... not environmentally friendly. I should correct myself. I, you know, it's probably not a great thing to do from the environment standpoint. But it definitely does kind of protect the, the, your suit. It takes all given, the fun out of doing it. Given some of the people I've had to sit next to, I put that stuff around myself. <laughs> in first class, even wow. even in first class. That's and what do you think? Go I ahead. got spritzed by a lady the other day in first class. Yeah. She was spritzing herself the entire flight. <laughs> That's why I don't go first class. Yeah, I, I prefer to stay in uh, in coach where no one's spritzing. Well, I would, I would no ride in coach. I, you know, listen, I'm president of the Horizontally Challenged Photographers of America. I can't fit back there. <laughs> I become the master of the exit row. Yeah. So, what do you like when you, you get those little love notes in your suitcase? Hey, it's TSA. Yeah. We went through your stuff. We touched your underwear, yada, yada. I mean, that's yeah. that's always a little off-putting, don't see, you but, think? But, of course, you can get them back by just, you know, see, I'm, I'm one of those people who is a little, uh, you know, OCD about my packing. And so everything, I'm not going to OCD about everything. But anyway, but the... Uh, um, everything's in those little, I have these little Eagle Creek bags, you know, the little zip-ups. Well, those are cool. Wow. So I have everything is all in these little, in these little bags. Uh, so so when you open up my bag, it's actually designed for TSA, so that they don't have to go rummaging through stuff. Every, you can just pull it out in little chunks, rather than um, except that. Um, Sometimes when I'm when I'm concerned that the TSA may do it to get them back, what I do is I just I just leave my underwear free flowing. So everything else is in little bags and protected. But you know, if you, you have really a little Hershey's kiss on the top, so when they open it, they have the Hershey's kiss, and, then, and then they can go through your stuff. I mean, you, yeah, but the you problem are. is if you had the Hershey's kiss and you put your underwear free floating, it would melt, and then it would look really bad. You know, it would, it would be like, well, it doesn't smell, but man. On to photography. <laughs> so also in the news, uh, this is a hack. Uh, uh, camera 40D is hacked uh, to record movies. Of course, uh, it also uh, might be ca- powering down while recording video, audio focusing, or writing to a memory card. <laughs> so um, th- another one of those kind of handle with care. We'll put this in the show notes. Uh, and uh, we do not officially endorse this policy here at TWIP. Yeah. 
No, the, we the don't question is do why, guys? Like, why? Why do you do this? Well, everybody wants to. They, they want to get the extra. What's frustrating, I think, a lot of times about these cameras is they're capable of all this stuff, and then the and then we, you know, the manufacturer for for a variety of reasons decides to turn some of this stuff off. You know, like most of these little point and shoot cameras that we can buy for two hundred and fifty dollars are, you know, they're shooting raw at some point in time. I mean, they're they're acquiring the information raw, um, but then they, you know, take that feature out uh, to, you know differentiate the products and i think a lot of people want to get they want to undifferentiate them <laughs> so so the um i think that's a lot of what the push is i think everyone's excited about video and then they're hacking their video their camera 40d their, their canon 40d to make that happen but there's a lot of bad things that happen when you uh use it the way it's not designed for so but i'm i'm getting ready to start testing stuff with my little uh with my with my little camera because it's, i'm getting ready to buy a, a canon mark uh, 5d Ah, I mean a 5D Mark II. 5T Mark II. Yeah, I, I need the video. So the uh, also now, uh, Scott, you have installed CS4. I have installed CS4 and Bridge, and I have to say that the first thing I noticed was that I clicked on the little Photoshop icon on my 24-inch iMac, and Photoshop was instantly on the screen. That that was different because Photoshop really? CS Photoshop CS3 took a while to boot up, but Photoshop usually you CS- launch Photoshop CS3 and you go get a coffee. Yeah, and let me tell you, it was night and day difference. A couple of cool things right off the bat, content aware scaling, you got to play with that. The ability to shoot multiple images on multiple layers and then have Photoshop, the way it does in Photo Merge, kind of determine where the focus should be and give you a front-to-back focused picture is cool. The new ability to create masks. I mean, mask is something when I teach Photoshop, everybody's scared of masks. You will not be scared of masks anymore when you see how they're done in Photoshop CS4. I would note a couple of things uh it does do some hardware acceleration and if you have i'm just using a 24 inch imac now it is the top of the line 24 inch imac but it's not a mac pro and it does work very well on that if you have an older machine then you might see some of the cool things not work so well i I haven't tested yet um adobe claims it works with a lot of computers even some of the slower ones and we'll see what you know that looks like the other thing is there's a little learning curve here alex because we, we got some new stuff yeah yeah, and I, and I think there's a lot of opportunities to, uh, yeah, po- for us to post some stuff about how to use. The yeah, new we'll be doing some how-to videos because after we learn how to do it, we'll show you how to do it. Yeah, it's hey guys, yeah. Uh, a lot of people now are using you know Aperture and Lightroom for their main kind of uh, photo processing tool and go into Photoshop when when they need to. Um, do you think that with CS4, uh, people in those programs might opt to go to Photoshop more often? Is there stuff in there that will bring them, bring them, make them round trip more? You know, uh, certainly in my case there is. I think if people yeah. are just doing general, general uh, uh, exposure and color controls, they may or may not. But I think that there's so much that you do in Photoshop and uh, it just keeps on getting you know, better and better and better. Up till up till CS through CS three, I was using Photoshop about four to five percent of my images, mostly portrait retouching. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, CS four, I'll probably see that double because there's some cool things I can do. I still use Aperture for collecting and sorting and keywording and and editing the basics, like you know, doing the basic conversions, etc. But if you want to do the really cool stuff, you need a pixel editor. Aperture's not ever been designed as a pixel pixel editor, nor has Lightroom. Uh, you, you need to, you need to go to Photoshop, and everybody pretty much agrees that Photoshop is the world's best pixel editing program. And uh, I, I think a lot of people will upgrade to this one. You know, the, the question every time we get a new Photoshop, guys, is, you know, is this the one I should upgrade? And it's too early for me to give you a definitive yes, but my early answer is yes. 
The fact that it starts up instantly is enough for me to upgrade. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you see the content where scaling and when you see the way that they, they've kind of streamlined the interface, and it, it really is pretty amazing. And then, of course... Alex is probably in love with all the cool new 3D features, which are way over my head. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that there's a couple things. One is that Photoshop also is uh, this is the first real version that we're going to see that has a lot of the integration with the other applications, and so uh, especially with you know making it easier to get in and out of what used to be Macromedia uh, software. So there's a lot of uh, of that type of integration that CS4 across the entire platform, not just Photoshop. Uh, has improved, and we're going to see that you know continue to move forward with uh, with future versions of, of uh, Adobe Macromedia. But the CS3 was kind of the first time they started doing that that kind of merge process, and now we're uh, seeing a lot more of that. The 3D stuff is great. I mean, you can now import you know import OBJs and paint on them in Photoshop, and then export those whole 3D models to After Effects. And I know a lot of our our listeners are just photographers and uh, and just want to do some editing, but there is. A what do you mean, just really photographers? Just photographers. I mean, it's not enough for you. It's not. It's not. It's not <laughs> enough for me. No, no. It's. It's. You know, what I mean is that that a lot of the three D stuff may be stuff that that a lot of people that are listening to this show particularly um, aren't going to use on a day to day basis. But I think that one of the things to pay attention to, and one of the things that I think is worth a lot of our listeners, uh, it, it's worth starting to pay attention to the 3D is that, you know, I think that the next level of stock photos are going to be 3D, you know, that you're going to, uh, you know, Photoshop isn't quite there yet. It's the interface isn't as easy to use, so on and so forth. But I think that we're moving towards a position where when you want to put a telephone into an ad, uh, you're not going to buy a photograph of a telephone at a certain angle. You're going to buy a model that's all set up with all the rendering that you need, and you'll bring it into Photoshop and place it in the scene uh, where you want it and hit render. You know, and 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 you won't really feel a lot of it. But that's where I think that's where I think it's going. I mean, no one. No one. I, I remember, like in the '90s, the early '90s, when you know holograms. Everyone was talking, "Hey, holograms is sort of the next thing we're going to see with our two-dimensional images," but it it kind of never went anywhere. Right. But I think that now we're, we're really seeing, you know, that we have the hardware to do it. I mean, a lot of it has to do with, you know, the iMacs and the laptops and everything can now do this 3D rendering uh, fairly effectively. And so, and we're seeing some applications that are getting better and better at, at um, you know, integrating. Uh, actually, Strata has, has always been uh, much better at, I don't know what the company's called now, but very good at integrating with Photoshop. Um, we're seeing more of that from companies like Cinema 4D and Luxology. And so, as that starts to pick up, I think it's going to be a very interesting, interesting time. Um, we should mention that some of those 3D functions are only available on Photoshop uh, CS4 Extended. Is there any other version? <laughs> <laughs> you, mean, well, you mean there's not? That, that, I, I, I thought Extended was just yeah, it's there was a couple normal. hundred dollars more. And for those who don't have multiple Alexes laying around, it's an important <laughs> distinction. Yeah, the, the reality is is that if you're not, you know, what what happened was is that a lot of us do, do, do production, film production or game production or so all these different areas would complain that no one would give us what we wanted in Photoshop. And, we'd, you know, we would always say, you know, we need more 3D. We need HDR. We need, you know, all of these things. And so what it looks like Adobe really did is they gave us those things that, okay, we'll do it, but we're going to charge you for it. You know, because the average person that uses did they, I mean, did they draw? It. Did they do a good job of drawing a sensible line between yeah. what that extended version has for the real ultra high end and what a good, you know, photographer would want? I think the line is very, I mean, it's really, the, the that extended is really for people like me or you that, that, that are going to do that kind of production um, and you won't feel it. Uh, the average person won't really, I, I think, feel it if they're just sticking with the 
with the normal version. But what about a, some of the cool new feature, you know, features like the uh, the scene carving and that sort of thing? That's all in the basic yeah, version. Yeah, that's all in the basic. Good. Okay. Yeah, so uh, most, as I said, the stuff that the average photographer would want is all in the basic version. Um, the extended is really adding uh, the capability of working with video, uh, 3D, you know, those types of things. Or gen- HDR, I think, is part of the extended package. And so those are the kind of things that if you start pushing down that path, uh, you'll pay a little extra. And I think it's worth it. <laughs> is there a new uh, Elements that has come out to coincide with the CS4? Or that, that's a separate... Elements, Elements came out before CS4. The latest version of Elements came out okay. a little while ago. So we won't see one tied directly to the CS4 release. Gotcha. Yeah. But very exciting. Very exciting. Also, uh, Camera Raw 5.1 is due out uh, next week. And it'll add support for the, uh, the newest cameras that are being released. So keep your eye out for that. Hopefully the LX3 is on that list. Uh, yes. Yes, the um, uh, I thought they'd put out a list and it wasn't on there, but I know I'm hoping it'll be like a late edition. Uh, do you want to want to talk about that or are we saving that for another time? No, we is it? Do we? I think uh, I think we could talk about it now. Yeah, let's talk about it now. What do you think of the LX3, <clears throat> Scott? Excuse me, uh, I, I like it enough that I sent back the G10. Mm, it's over. It's I, over. Uh, I have wow. to say that I was prepared to, you know, like the G10 better. Right, and I ergonomically I do like the G10 better mm-hmm. and the G9. The LX3 is a little small for me. That said, those people who thought the G9 or the G10 are too big will like the LX3 because it's smaller. It's closer to a pocket camera, and um, I miss a couple of the the features of the Canon. It, you have a stupid lens cap you got to put on the LX3, which bugs me because it's already gotten in my way a couple of times. And, you know, I missed the ability to set the ISO on a button, although you can program a function button on the LX3 to do that. But when it comes to image quality, and this is just my opinion, there's just no comparison. Wow. Um, ISO 80 images out of the LX3, JPEG, mind you, not even RAW, uh, full screen on a 24-inch iMac are publication quality. Hmm. Wow. Now, have you tried to shoot raw, Scott, and, and is there a delay? Does it take a while for each image to process? Uh, the, there, the, I have shot a few raw exposures, although I can't look at them because I'm not going to bother to lo- load the you know Panasonic raw decoder. I'm going to wait for Aperture to do it. But I can say that there's no delay in terms of shutter delay or anything like that. There is a, the, the buffer takes longer to write, as it would in any camera. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it you, your images stay in the buffer longer, but it does two and a half frames a second, but it does it for four seconds. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I mean, you know, about ten exposures max, and then it stops. You know, the, the camera is real intuitive. Its auto modes are the best I've ever seen. It has this thing called intelligent ISO that actually works. It's a little bit like the auto ISO feature in a Nikon D3, mm. but. You know, the, the super wide lens, the things you want to applaud here in this camera are it's a super wide lens, 24 millimeters versus, you know, about 35 on most of these cameras. And they didn't raise the megapixels. It's, you know, a 10 megapixel camera. So you have really low noise. And at ISO 400, this camera looks, you know, or excuse me, at ISO 800, this camera looks as good as the G9 did at 400. Yeah. Okay. I'm getting one. I, I had a chance to play with Scott's when we had lunch uh, last weekend, and you know, it's it's pretty close to what I would want in a camera too for a small carry around. I mean, I, I the, the ergonomics don't bother me because I actually want something small enough that I will 
you know, carry it with me as much as I can. Really, you know, be willing to just shove it in my pocket. And uh, it, it's about in that range. I agree the lens cap is just silly. I hope that a future revision fixes that. And, uh, Although I have to admit, with my G10, one of the or G9s, one of the things that I had problems with is that I would, if I kept it in my pocket, that little shutter that closes would get stuck open, which was kind of yeah. That's that actually happened to a couple other people too. I do want to mention that the video is better quality on the the LX3 as well. It's actual HD, and the G10 is cut down to 640 by 480 is the right. top quality level. And pretty Can green. you do time lapse uh, videos on the the Panasonic? I haven't tried that. Oh, okay. Is, and is I do also need to point out that there's no viewfinder, which for me was the hardest thing to look at when I pushed the buy button. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I was like, gosh, I've never bought a camera without a viewfinder. <laughs> do, you, what, do you really, did you use the viewfinder in the G9 for the G10? Yeah, yeah, because what do you do when it's sunny outside? You can't even see the back LCD. So what I've done now is I've ordered, there is an accessory viewfinder that you can put in the hot shoe on this camera. So I've ordered that, and it's ridiculously expensive. But at least there is that option for those who are like me, who want a viewfinder, old school guys. But I mean, Alex, when I was doing the first roll of test shots, here I am talking rolls. See, I'm still stuck in my digital days, <laughs> or my film days. Uh, when I was shooting the first group of test shots, it was sunny outside, and I couldn't see the back of the LCD. What do you, how, you know? What do you do there? I, I just yes. don't, I don't. I just don't shoot when it's sunny. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I should, not, should probably. <laughs> Should it was a nice sunny. I mean, it was the kind of sunny you want. It was right. great. The, the, the sun was coming over my back. It was lighting my subject well. And I tried to look at the LCD, and I had to go through all kinds of conniptions to see it. So that, that, is, a, that is a break point for me. But like I say, for me, the uh, add-on accessory viewfinder will solve that. And it's a tough call, believe me. The G9, G10, great cameras. And it's not one better than the other. It's what do you like versus, you know, what do I like kind of thing. Some right. people will, like, there's a a little bit more detail in the G10 um, mm-hmm. because they have the you know 15 megapixel sensor, but you get more noise along with that detail. Right. I would rather have you know 10 megapixels top quality, and I even got one ISO 1600 image, which will it's it, by the time people hear this show, the actual review will be up on twipphoto.com. And you can you look at that ISO 1600 shot, which I put in there at full size, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah, and, we and should, I, I'm, we should. Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead, Alex. No, go ahead, Steve. Well, I was just going to say that um, you know, you know, this camera. There's also the Leica, uh, which is what is it? The Four Deluxe, which is pretty well an identical camera. It's the same. As far I think it's as the I same camera. They've they've added. They've changed the the. Uh, I think the the lens is a little different, and then they've also changed some of the firmware. I don't think. Yeah, that, I don't. The lens is different, but it's uh, you do get a strap with it. So you get a strap and a, a longer warranty, but I think it's about four hundred dollars. It more. is. It's like twice as expensive. So you know what? Is, what <laughs> do you want to just get a two-year warranty instead of a one-year, or you just want to buy two cameras? Right. But that uh, Leica red dot looks really kind of yeah. cool. But the other thing you <laughs> the the Leica gives you the. Um, uh, software it gives you the phase that capture one software with it okay gotcha you know the other thing and that is worth the money because capture one is an amazing piece yeah, but of I'm not software. but I'm not sure that capture one costs the four hundred dollar delta either so well yeah that I don't know I don't know no the yeah. other thing that I'm really curious about and it's maybe moving a little bit away from the this camera but the uh, sigma announced the the dp2 and I know you know the dp1 was a tiny little camera with a big chip in it and the quality was good but there were a lot of problems in terms of function 
functionality. And I wondered, uh, you know, in future, if we can sort of look into the idea of the DP2, because... Well, the, D- you know, the DP2 is going to have to be about 152 kabillion times better than the DP1 for me to do anything but yawn about it. Well, I mean, I really? think it's still the weird thing about the, D- the DP2 and the DP1 is this fixed lens on a, on a uh, point-and-shoot, you know, which is just... Uh, and I have to admit... Eighty percent of the time that I shoot on my uh, on my on my camera, I'm on some kind of fixed lens because I like really really fast, like really fast lenses. And uh, but at the same time, the idea that I have a point and shoot that was stuck at you know one focal length is just a little odd. Well, this, I think uh, the, the, the DP three. Will... I'm sorry, I was just going to say the DP two though. I think is more sort of along the lines of, of a Leica M8 in that you know it's 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 a serious camera in terms of you know the quality that big chip is going to give you, and I think that Sigma was looking in that direction when it came to, you know, creating this little camera. So well, for I, me, that's not I, a big deal. The thing that does make me interested is I, I really want to get a camera that tests with a, that's a Foveon uh, sensor. I, I haven't shot anything with a Foveon sensor. And I'm, uh, you know, this is stacking, of course, the, the, the pixels on top of each other. Everything that we see, you know, CMOS and, and, uh, and CCD are all, the, the pixels are actually all next to each other. So the red, green, and blue are next to each other. So everything has to be sharpened a little bit. Nothing is truly sharp. Um, the, with the Sigma, um, you're actually getting something that theoretically is a lot sharper naturally because the pixels are actually stacked on top of each other. And so um, uh, something that I've, I've always been fascinated with, maybe someone maybe someone will be listening to Sigma and they'll send us a yeah. test camera. <laughs> I just want to say, Alex, if you do want a fast lens, I mean, the, the LX3 is F2 to yeah. F2 throughout the range, 24 to 60. So that's that's pretty darn fast. Oh, absolutely. And, and I, I, um, I have to admit that the... Uh, the LX3 uh, temptation had been building for a while. I mean, uh, Stu Mashowitz has been pushing, pushing at uh, you should you should definitely try it. You know, he loves his LX2, and and uh, so I was already planning to go ahead and buy this as my next one. And then I then when Scott said he was going to buy it, I figured I'd just wait and see what he thought. And now, <laughs> now I'm hey to Scott, one it. one more thing with the viewfinder. There is Luminous Landscape did a review on the camera too. People might want to check out, but they mentioned that there is a cheaper alternative uh, viewfinder from Voigtlander. You might want to see if it's any good hey, or not. Now you tell me. <laughs> <laughs> I just saw it. Sorry. Also uh, in the news, uh, just a, this is a, a slightly different type of photography, um, but definitely uh, fascinating. Uh, this is the Nikon Small World Photo um, Micrography <laughs> um, Competition. So this is lots of pictures of tiny little things, um, and uh, we'll put the show. We'll put this in the show notes. But it's NikonSmallWorld dot com, and you can see the gallery and. Uh, um, really, really uh, interesting. Uh, the, the winner is Michael uh, Stringer, and it was a uh, 200x of a um, marine diatom. I don't, I don't, I don't know what that is, but it looks really cool. Um, but there's lots of little pictures of bugs. Go yeah, ahead. we should put the we should put the link up. There's the New York Times covered this, and they not only put up the photos, but for some of them, they have a little short audio interview with the photographers talking about how they got it. So if we put the link up, we should link to the um, the New York Times article on it because it's kind of neat. You can hear the photographers say how they did it. It's like there's a very my favorite picture out of it is this uh, little tiny beetle that's actually sitting on the head of a pin. Yeah, and um, you listen to the audio on that, and you find out that he actually did do that trick of multiple focusing. You know, when you're shooting such macro photography, you get a really, really narrow depth of field. And so this is actually a compound image where he shot multiple exposures uh, at different focus zones and then put them all together to get a in, you know, in-focus image. It, it really is. Yeah. Go ahead, Alex. No, go ahead. Go ahead, Steve. 
Well, I was just going to say, it really is, uh, you know, just as, as, as large as, as space is, uh, when you start to look at the very small, I mean, there's, there's an unlimited, I mean, when people say, I, I, there's nothing to take pictures of, I mean, you can photograph your finger for years and, and come up if you have the right equipment. I mean, with this extraordinary, interesting stuff, uh, when you look at this gallery, you'll, you'll see a world that uh, is just really extraordinary, and the images are, are absolutely beautiful. Yeah, it's it's amazing what's there, and, and it's uh, it's amazing to see the patterns and a lot of the luminescence that that is based on you know light changes a lot when uh, the surfaces become uh, similar to the w- wavelengths. Anyway, so um, it, you you really get some very fascinating looking images that are naturally that way when you actually look at them. So um, anyway, so definitely check that out. Uh, Site of the week. Uh, this is uh, this is a listener suggestion. Ben Riddick uh, sent this in, and I uh, thought we should check it out. It's called DIYPhotography.net. Did you guys get a chance to take a look at this? I did. It's neat. It's a cool little. It, it's definitely yeah, yeah. A lot of sort of uh, low budget tips for being lighting and doing setups and and that sort of thing. You know, it, it's very practical kind of information. I like it a lot. Yeah, I think that a lot of us get, you know, a lot of us are used to having lots of big lights and equipment and everything else. And for uh, a lot of our listeners who are uh, not ready to do that yet, um, there's just tons of ways of not spending a lot of money, but just throwing something together that, that works and that, that really gives you uh, great results. And so uh, definitely worth checking out, DIYphotography.net. Of course, we'll put that in the uh, show notes as well. And uh, we have a, uh, we're in week three of the uh, current assignment, Yellow. How's hey, we're going to run one contest a month now because it's just getting a little bit too much to manage. But in return, we're going to do better prizes. And the prize this month, Alex, is a USB Drobo. Nice. Nice. I love my Drobo. So all you have to do to enter is put one image, and it's one image per person. By the way, some people have tried to cheat. We found them out, and now they can't win. So one image per person. And then what will happen is the, our audience will vote. Those votes will help elevate the best pictures to the top, and then the TWIP staff actually makes the pick. So the votes do not alone constitute a winner. So if you're the person with the most votes, don't start ordering your drives for the Drobo just yet, because we're <laughs> going we're gonna to pick somebody in that group. It may not be the one that gets the most votes. And that's the way the audience seems to want it, because they, 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 want, they want to have a say in it, but they'd rather trust us. But, and, and quit asking me for what would constitute yellow. I keep getting all these emails. You guys know the rules you have to come up with your own version of yellow and if you're colorblind this is really just kind of an open open uh, well for instance somebody asked could i take a picture of someone who was being cowardly that's a perfectly fine interpretation of yellow if you'd like (laughs) isn't that yellow yeah that's That's close enough and the guy, he even quoted an old TV show, which <laughs> none of you are probably old enough to have seen. It was called Branded. Ooh. You ever see that show? I didn't. Nope. No. With, Chuck, with Chuck Connors. <laughs> the, the rifle of rifleman fame. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. Branded. Branded is the one who ran. What do you do when you're branded? But you know you're a man. <laughs> <laughs> Wow! No, if, we, if we could delete all the television theme songs we know, we'd have a lot of room for some, you know, useful information. Well, see, <laughs> I, I do know all the words of all these stupid. Yeah, when uh, you're old and you've got all this stuff floating in your head, it's really a nuisance because you'd rather think of something new and relevant. But all I can think of is Chuck Connors. So there you go. Suggested just more drugs, more drugs. Okay, just just uh, just, just turn turn the IV up a little bit, and you'll be yeah. fine. <laughs> By the way, that, that was a who who was that that just sang that? That was a very nice uh, voice you have out there. Scott. 
only person but, old enough to know the song, wow. of course. <laughs> Love, lovely singing voice, I, I will add. Uh, also, in the we had latest poll results. Which is more important to you, an artistic photo or a technically accurate photo? Well, this one wasn't even close. 81.6% said artistic, fortunately. Um, 18.4% but I, said but I sure have noticed a fair amount of pixel peeping once in a while from, from that must be the vocal 18% <laughs> yeah exactly uh, we've got a new, fo- we got a new uh, poll up there it says what percentage of your shots are successful uh, intended compositions or accidental masterpieces uh, so the question is of course uh, I, number one I plan all my compositions and they're perfect no accidental masterpieces uh, 25% intended, 75% accidents, 50% intended, 50% accidents, 75 intended, uh, 25% a- accidents, or hell, nothing I plan works out. They're all accidents, and I love them. You know, Cartier-Bresson used to say uh, if he had one image out of a 36 exposure contact sheet, he'd be very happy. And, and actually, that's a pretty good uh, percentage, I'd say. Yeah, you know, I, I think we talked about this uh, a while ago. I, I remember going to shoot textures and uh, asking someone at, at ILM about that, uh, and uh, and he just said, "Oh, just take lots of film, take you know, take a lot of photos." And I just thought he was trying to hide hide the secret. And uh, Paul Houston is a matte painter there, and he's the one that gave me the, the advice. And I was like, "Man, he's just not. He's just not, he's not sharing." <laughs> and I went out and took a lot of film and took a lot of photos. And uh, not only did I get what I was looking for, but I also learned a lot about. Uh, taking pictures so it really is just sometimes taking lots and lots of photos so uh, you know just just on that uh, it was actually um, something I saw that Ira Glass from This American Life I don't know if you guys ever watch him but he was sort of talking to young journalists and and he basically said you have to go through a quantity of work before you become sort of the next level photographer for example and I think that's kind of true I mean there's a certain kind of quantity and then at some point and it's hard to really even articulate you're better you're better than you used to be and it's just that idea of shoot 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 and whether you want to or not you're just going to improve yeah, I think there's. I don't. I don't even know where I got it, but there was. There's something about um, reading somewhere where they just said for an artist, there's. You know, you're, you don't become a master until you make ten thousand mistakes, and so the key is just to move through those mistakes as fast as possible. <laughs> you know, some, for me, it's twenty thousand. <laughs> so, I'm still working through it, but I'm. You know, I'm getting closer. So now we had it. We have a uh, interview with. Uh, Ryan Brenizer from uh, from Amazon, and this uh, was recorded by uh, Scott. Scott uh, earlier in the show, um, uh, earlier in the week, uh, talked to Ryan about the Sigma Lens Review. Time for a special interview here on This Week in Photography. We have Ryan Brenheiser with us. He's been on the show before. He is a photography columnist for Amazon as well as a very busy photographer. Ryan, welcome to TWIP. Uh, thank you very much. I'm glad to be back. Um, and, uh, you know, I am very, very busy indeed. Yeah. <laughs> well, we appreciate you taking time out of that busy schedule to help us. I know you've been doing a lot of shoots and stuff, but you've also been able to test the brand new Sigma 50 millimeter F1.4 lens. This has been a much talked about lens and you had one for the Nikon mount. I do want to mention that the other time you were on the show, you reviewed the Nikon D3 and look what ended up happening to me. <laughs> yeah, there may be a, there may be a Sigma 50 millimeter in your future then. Um, uh, let's see, see if I can you know, uh, switch you away from Nikon, at least in, in one view. Uh, well, I, I, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm nothing, I don't have anything against Sigma. Today, my 3 to 800 uh, 
Zoom lens arrives. So. Oh wow! Perfect. The Sigma three eight hundred DG gets here this afternoon, so I'm not. I don't have anything against Sigma, and I'm not a lens snob. And if I like a lens, I don't care what name they put on it; I'll use it. I believe that's the the Sig Monster. The Sig Monster, the, actually, no. Yeah. The new Sig Monster is the the one that goes to a thousand millimeters at f five six. Yeah, but uh, you know, you, you need your own uh, Jeep to, to carry that one around. Yeah, I'm going with the three to eight hundred. It's a little more practical, and also, I just, I don't know. I just thought spending twenty seven thousand bucks on one lens was crazy. So, eight thousand was enough, and I'm really looking forward to using this one. I've actually had the original three to eight hundred, but this one is uh, set up for digital. Anyway, let's get back to a little bit smaller lens, the fifty one point four. You tested the lens. Uh, let's just start with your initial impressions and give me some uh, room here to jump in with a couple of questions. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in fact, I got one of the, uh, the first copies of the Nikon mount that was in America. Uh, uh, Sigma, you know, is, is a third party lens maker and they produce for a lot of different mounts. The, the Canon had been out for a while, but the, uh, the Nikon mount just came out in September and I know they actually just released it for, uh, the four thirds mount as well. Um, now, this is a full frame, or basically a you know uh, a normal lens that that works on you know film on you know work on five Ds, work on D threes, D seven hundreds, as well. Of course, uh, you know will work on DX cameras just like any other fifty millimeter lens. Um, and it's a little bit weird, as you know, as we've kind of alluded, Sigma um, is a little bit strange for a third party maker, um, you know, in some ways, uh, probably because. They make their own cameras too. They make things like the SD14, the forthcoming SD15, um, which can only take Sigma lenses. So they have more of an incentive to have a full lens lineup than some of the other third-party makers like Tamron and Tokina, um, who mostly, you know, mostly the, the normal role of a third-party lens maker is to usually make, um, you know, fill a niche that the that the first party makers aren't filling. Uh, and usually that will be to, uh, you know, make something a little bit different that's cheaper and maybe lighter at the cost of less build quality. So you see things like all of these 18 to fifties or 17 to fifties, two point eights that are not as heavy as, you know, say the Nikon version or like the Canon 24 to 70, but you can't slam them against a wall quite as much. So when Sigma said, hey, we're going to release a 50mm f1.4, a lot of people, myself included, said, okay, well, that's already a uh, small, tiny lens and and usually uh, doesn't have, you know, super, super build quality. So the Sigma version is probably going to be just tiny and, 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 uh, you know, super cheap and, and, uh, you know, know, something you can just stow away in your pocket and, and will be very, very popular. Instead, then they released the specs and it's gigantic. Um, and in fact, more expensive than the Nikon, Canon, Pentax—you know, basically any of the first party, party models. It clocks in about five hundred dollars, whereas you can uh, usually pick up, uh, you know, one of the competing uh, members for about half the price. Um, now, now, wait a minute, Ryan. Let's let's talk about that. Nikon just announced a new fifty-one point four, and what is the price point on that? Do you know? It's it's cheaper. It's, it's you know MSRP. We'll see what the street price is, uh, but it's you know it's in the low four hundred. So it's still cheaper than the Sigma, but it's uh, but it's more expensive, uh, more expensive than what came before. Um, and it's still you know the difference is 
uh, it's a little bit larger because that includes uh, you know the, the in focus the in cam in lens focusing motor the AFS which the uh, previous one didn't um, so it's a little bit larger it takes up a little bit more room but it's still uh, nowhere near as large as the Sigma you know I have a photo of uh, the Sigma compared to an old 50 millimeter lens it just dwarfs it it's about I have in my hands here in fact both the Sigma and the Nikon 85 millimeter f1.4 and they're about the same size and about the same weight. Now, not to get like too geeky, um, but that's really strange because 50 millimeters in general uh, have have been, for a lot of different reasons, sort of the easiest and you know lenses to make small and compact and relatively fast um, for a ver- for decades and decades and decades. They don't have to use the telephoto design, uh, you know, retrofocal design that either telephoto lenses use or even wide angle lenses have to use. Um, so to be the same size as the same speed as you know a professional level uh, telephoto portrait lens is just something's going on here, um, and you know I have my I have my theories obviously uh, as to what they're doing and they seem to be borne out by practice, um, and that's that the the role of the fifty millimeter uh, actually as you mentioned in a, in a post on the blog uh, a few days ago the fifty millimeter sort of in, uh, coming back uh, in ways that it hasn't uh, in a long time but it's sort of playing a different role than it used to it used to be fifty millimeter lenses were just what came with the camera you know you bought a camera and there was like a fifty millimeter lens on it a, you know fifty millimeter f two or something like that these old manual focus lenses and you can find them basically for free on eBay you can get the same you know the camera for the same price as the camera plus lens. So they were something that uh, they were the kit lenses then, and they were basically just a way to get that sort of uh, normal view. Um, But back in the days, you know, before autofocus either was around or was very good, and, you know, before zoom lenses were very good at all, your 50 millimeter was just a way to get really good image quality at a low price. But you were probably using it like F8 and B there. You know, you were probably stopping it down um, you know, so you could, you know, not have to deal with that, you know, thin focal plan and, and try and, you know, manually focus it a lot more than you are today. When you see people using 50 millimeters today, when we do have good zooms that are, you know, fairly cheap and zooms seem to predominate, they're using 50 millimeters mostly because they want to get that fast aperture at the cheapest, you know, cheapest way possible. Or they want to have that focal length and the fast aperture. They, you know, bokeh is a huge. Uh, thing now, you know, something that everybody talks about in ways they didn't talk about f- even five years ago, and something um, that and something that most people really don't understand. But right, yeah, yeah, but <laughs> but they know, you know, there, it's it's very very in now to have one thing in focus and everything else in the photo out of focus. Um, you know, much, you know, even more so than it had been, and and the fifty millimeter sort of a vehicle to that. So what Sigma, you know, seems to have said is okay. You know, what's really important in fifty millimeter is that f1.4 um that you know the p that's where people want to be shooting is they want to be shooting faster than f2.8 if they're if they're going to go to f2.8 especially the professionals that this lens is marketed towards and i'll get get to that in a second well they're probably going to use a zoom because the zooms these days are really good the nikon 24 to 70 unbelievable so if i'm going to shoot 2.8 or slower well why not have a zoom so i can also shoot you know, wider, I can also shoot, you know, uh, slower, things like that. They said, okay, so let's over-engineer this lens. Let's just go nuts on it to make sure that, that it is as good as possible. Yeah, 
So uh, this is a professional lens. It's more expensive. It's bigger. It's marketed toward professionals, and especially for professionals that have these other zooms. If you're going to go, you know, if you're going to be shooting an f two point eight, or especially if you're going to be shooting an f eight, well, you know, you probably just want to, you know, have the zoom so you can shoot at the other focal lengths. So Sigma seems to have said, let's over-engineer this to make sure it's as good as possible at f one point four, because that's the one thing that no zooms can do. Um, so overall, you know, if I, you know, to succinctly, my impressions of this are that they did that job, you know, the, the job they seem to do um, very well. This lens performs exceedingly well at f1.4 um, in, in all of the ways that you would want it to. Um, and that is that it's sharp, you know, sharp in its centers, you know, its corners are a little bit softer, but they will usually, usually be out of focus anyway at f1.4. Uh, it has very little vignetting, uh, you know, for an f1.4 lens. You know, you can shoot people against the blue sky, and you're not going to get very, very dark corners. Um, it has, you know, good color transmission, and it also has very fast autofocus, uh, much faster than, say, like, you know, the Nikon 85mm. So you said this lens focuses really quick. Does it have a motor in the lens? Yes. Yeah, it, uh, it has a motor in the lens, uh, so if you have a D40 or something, you can focus with it, um, as, as opposed to the older Nikons that that, that do not. So explain the Nik- explain the advantage to people. For instance, if you're using a, a D40 or a D3, what what does it matter? And explain that to people who don't know the difference. Well, uh, particularly entry level Nikon's cannot focus with the older lenses that that don't have this motor. They just they don't have a motor in the camera. They can't focus. So with the new Sigma. And also the new Nikon, they can. Um, D3s can focus with everything, and and they're pretty fast with the old ones. So um, it's mostly a wash, but this is a fast-focusing lens on any camera. Now, this ability to have a motor in the lens is kind of new to Nikon. Canons have the USM ultrasonic motors for a longer time than Nikon. Nikon recently started using the silent wave motors, and we do find that all these lenses that have motors in the lens focus faster. How remarkable or unique is it that Sigma has gone to putting some motors in the lens? Because a lot of third-party companies do not put motors in their lenses. Yeah, Sigma um, definitely has more uh, and has, has started earlier than the other companies. Um, some of the other companies have only started just now putting motors in their lenses because Nikon has cameras like the D40 and the D60. Sigma for a long time has had the HSM in lenses like the 30mm, a lot of their normal zooms and things like that. Um, it's just been one of the things that's a little bit different about them. When you look at the contrastiness of this lens, how, how do you think that stacks up with a typical amount of contrast you'd see in a Nikkor lens? The contrast is really good. In fact, uh, it's one of the things that's significantly better than the Nikkor the, the, uh, and lens, um, uh, the 50 millimeter. Um, it's comparable, maybe very slightly less to the 24 to 70, which is the most contrasty, colorful zoom I've ever used. Now, are there any downsides that you've, uh, uh, you know, figured out after you've tested this? Okay. Well, the main downside is, you know, just obvious from looking at it, which is that it's huge um, and that <laughs> it's more it's it's more expensive. I mean, it's it's uh, I can stick an old fifty millimeter lens in my jeans pocket, you know, so I can take. I can always have it. You need like MC Hammer parachute pants to stick this in your pocket. Um, 
as and, a <laughs> you know, it's, uh, and it's and it's more expensive. Um, now, some pro photographers will say, "Well, hey, it's a seventy-seven millimeter uh, filter. All my other lenses are seventy-seven millimeter filters, so it's great. I can use the same lens caps. I can use the same filters. But casual users may just say." Wow, this thing is really big for a fifty millimeter lens. It dwarfs my camera. Yeah, I think looking at it, it appears to be close in size to the fifty one point two for the Canon. Yeah, yeah, really close. And and like I said, it's about exactly the same size as the Nikon eighty five millimeter one point four, which is you know not a small lens uh, even for what it does, and it's a longer yeah you know, it's a longer telephoto lens. Were you able to notice any? color fringing chromatic aberration it's introduced by this lens it's very low you know i mean you can pick apart it you know pixel by pixel and you know find some but it's it's much much lower than say my um you know 85 millimeter which again is one of my favorite lenses in the world but it has uh purple fringing um and 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 you know this does not i'm in fact um, much more comfortable shooting f1.4 with the Sigma than I am with the Nikon 85mm, which is, again, one of the best lenses in some ways ever made. Wow. Now, that, that's a pretty strong endorsement, Ryan. I mean, you know, that's, you're going to get hate mail. Oh, I know. And, uh, you know, I, I can point, you know, I've popularized the 85mm in, in so many ways. I mean, it's, um, I use it all the time. But, you know, people that have really used it will say, yeah, it renders images beautifully, but it has purple fringing, um, and there's a slight loss of contrast wide open that, you know, stopping down even a little bit, you know, gets rid of, um, whereas the Sigma really does seem to be made like, hey, let's shoot this at f1.4. That's what it's all about. I'm glad you pointed that out, because that's really important. A lot of people have probably heard that most lenses are at their sharpest somewhere, a couple of stops from the edges, and that may even be true of this lens, but this lens appears to have actually been made, much like Canon's L lenses often are, to actually work at wide open, and I think that's really important because people who are buying these lenses, as you say, they're buying these lenses uh, as part of a creative process. You're making a creative decision to shoot wide open because you like the way the background looks versus the way the subject looks. It makes the subject sort of pop out of the picture, and if it doesn't work wide open, what's the point of having it? Right. Yeah, exactly. And that and that's really the reason to be of this lens. Um, they've engineered it for it. The trade-off is that it's huge. Um, and a little bit more expensive, but it's basically a specialized tool. Um, if you if you want that you know, shallow background and you want it in a fifty millimeter, um, right now we'll we'll you know, check out the new Nikon. But um, certainly it's the it's the best way to do it uh, for the Nikon mount. And for Canon, it's def- it definitely performs a lot better than the Canon f one point four. Then it's just a trade off. Okay, do I want you know to spend the more money to get that f one point two? Um, you know, and, and have the advantages there, or you know, do I want the do I want the Sigma? We probably should mention a couple of things for folks that are sort of new to photography. Don't be alarmed that we talked about a few flaws in the lens because there's there's no lens that doesn't have flaws. Yeah, also, absolutely. Also, also want to point out that when you're shooting at f1.4, Ryan, we probably ought to mention that that razor thin depth of field means you need to nail your focus. Absolutely, and and that's um, one of the only little caveats I, I have about it um, is that you know it is hard for any lens to shoot at that, and and in extreme situations, 
um, shooting moving subjects in the darkness, for example, which I happen to do a lot as a wedding photographer, um, it will focus fastly, but then be slightly jittery, which in most lenses doesn't matter, but if it jitters a little bit, it'll get your subject out of focus if you're shooting at f1.4. Again, that's only in extreme situations, but you know, don't be surprised uh, if you, you know, if you don't nail your shot every time. Yeah, yeah. I think you mentioned it earlier. This is a lens marketed at pros. Doesn't mean amateurs won't buy it. But if you're just getting started with photography, and particularly if you're having problems with focus, 1.8 lenses probably be where you'd want to start. Right, and you can always you can always stop this lens down. You can always say, "Hey, well, okay, f1.4 in this situation isn't working for me." I can always stop it down to F2, whatever, um, or, you know, F16. Um, but then you're kind of losing the point of it. Um, but but you know, whereas in other situations, it may be real easy. Maybe you're just shooting a, a plant or something, and you can take all day. Well, it sounds like you're giving it a thumbs up. On a scale of 1 to 10, you want to give it a number? Uh, I'd give it about a 9. Like I said, uh, for my personal use, it's really great. Now, if you're looking for something that's small and easy to carry around and you just want casual shooting, you know, it really may not be worth the price. But if, if um, bokeh and smooth bokeh, which is something I didn't talk about, the bokeh on this is very smooth for a 50 millimeter, is important to you and shooting f1.4 is important, then it really, you can see a difference over the current Nikon and Canon versions, certainly. Well, I appreciate your review. And how can our listeners keep track of all the stuff you got going? You, you write for Amazon, we know that. Uh, yeah. Is there a particular yeah. blog or website you'd like us to point people to? Yeah, absolutely. My main blog is just um, Amazon.com slash Ryan Brenizer, uh, B-R-E-N-I-Z-E-R. And, uh, and my, my commercial website is just RyanBrenizer.com. Okay, there you have it. A first look at the 50mm f1.4 from Ryan. And we're looking forward to uh, having you back on the show in the future. Maybe we'll have you talk about the Nikon f1.4 once it gets in your hands. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully I'll see it at Photo Plus Expo, which I'll be at soon. Okay. Once again, thanks, Ryan, and back to the show. Thanks, Scott. And what, what were your impressions after this uh, interview? Well, I, I was mindful of the fact that the last time we had Ryan on, he talked about the D3. I ended up buying one, so I'm kind of worried. <laughs> but I That's do always a dangerous thing. That, that Ryan, I, I want to be honest about this. Ryan was our second choice this week. I had hoped to get Joe, the photographer, on. <laughs> but he was simply not available. Evidently, he had some plumbing issues that he had to deal with. Well, no, Joe, the photographer, turns out he wasn't licensed and hadn't paid his taxes as a photographer. So we decided, in the best interest of the show, to bring mm-hmm. Ryan. <laughs> Protect him from yeah. his self. So, uh, so are you going to buy the lens, Scott? I don't, you know, I don't know, because to tell you the truth, one thing Ryan pointed out is this is more expensive than the new Nikon lens coming out, F, F1.4 50mm um, Nikon, and it's going to be hard for me to get my arms around the fact that the Sigma is going to have done a better job than Nikon will, and I'm going to wait and see. I'm still not sure whether or not I'm going to Photo Plus next week. If I go to Photo Plus, I'm going to look at them side by side, but I'm certainly going to consider it. Yeah. I mean, I think it's very cool that Sigma is really stepping up to the plate and saying, you know, we're not just going to try and compete one-on-one, that we're going to have some flagship lenses that go beyond anything out there and, you know, give you that great sharpness across the, the aperture range and that sort of thing. So, 
more power. Well, to I them. certainly don't have any problem with Sigma lenses. I'm expecting in just a few moments the three to eight hundred zoom to arrive here at my door. So they're, they're, I'm buying the Sigma wow. three to eight hundred. So I think is your door big enough, Scott? Yeah, so, so when we hear a semi <laughs> pulling up, we should know what that is. No, just the <laughs> beep. Yeah, exactly. Beep. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, and then once you have all those fine photos, of course, uh, you can put them on your Drobo. We are, of course, we like to uh, thank Drobo for supporting this week in photography. And uh, I think we all have, are we all Drobatized now? I am feeling droopy, man. Are you feeling cool. droopy? Actually, you know what? I'm, I'm in the process of, I, literally, I, I stopped the copy to do the show because I was afraid that it was going to step on Skype or something bad. But, uh, yeah, I am not 100% backed up because I'm still copying the last things over to it. But I'll be droopy within the next uh, couple hours. Now, did you put one? I, I, no, go ahead, oh, go ahead, Steve. Well, I was just going to say, I took the Drobo out of the box it shipped in and put it on my desk. So I'm one step closer <laughs> to being, I just haven't. I haven't completely finished the process yet. but Steve doesn't I, ever get in a big hurry. Have you all noticed that? <laughs> <laughs> you know, last to get on Twitter, last to update his blog, last to get his robo. He's just a calm guy. You know, he's just a really calm relaxed. Guy. Uh, distracted guy. There's a lot on the go, but I'm definitely going to um, drobotize myself at some point very soon. It's, uh, you know, I, I really got to say it, it's just a nicely engineered product. I, you know, unpacked it and everything just makes sense. And it's true. You don't even really need to read any manuals or anything. You just start slapping it together. I mean, the hardest part for me was that I had to go rip some drives out of some old external drives to use for this. And, you know, it took me far longer than it took to set the Drobo up. Well, that's the great thing is that you can just put a bunch of you know, drives and they don't all have to be the same or, or anything else. And then you can slowly upgrade them as you as you go. But Scott said you, you, you mentioned that you know if you're planning on putting the biggest um, drives in the Drobo to sort of set it up as, as, as big as it will go, like 16 terabytes, so it's ready for the new technology when it's available. Is that, is that correct? That's when you set up the drive. You can put it in the Drobo. You can put any drive in there you want, but if you want to be able to add capacity when larger drives are available, that's a good way to do it. Another tip to consider is that if you know you're going to want to start small and add more drives, you don't necessarily want to put in a one a couple of one terabyte drives. You might be better off putting in two or three five hundred or seven hundred and fifty gig drives because of the way that Drobo creates the safety space is tied to the largest drive. So you you would find yourself you know, in, in easier to upgrade to the bigger drives later. So that's, that's, yeah, I had a one terabyte drive in there by itself and you, you'll put another, you know, like I swapped a 750 for a five for a uh, 750 for another terabyte and it didn't change much. You know, because yeah, that's, yeah. It, it's because it, it's it's keeping that max size up. But if you had a couple of seven fifties and then added another one, it works better. And and you know, one of the pieces of advice I got from the people at Data Robotics who make this thing, which I didn't believe at first, which I now do because I've tested it, is I said, "What kind of drive should we get?" And they consistently, to a man, said. Get the cheapest thing you can find. Just throw whatever right. drives you've got in. Like Ron said, tear some SATA drives out of an old enclosure because th that's really all it takes. You can always upgrade them. You can always swap them. Then, then you know, now for my main ones, I did spend some money. I've got the Western Digital one terabyte green drives, and I've got four of them for each Drobo, and I've got another pair sitting on top of each Drobo ready to go in case of a failure. I mean, but that that's a best-case scenario. But, you know, anything you got laying around will work, and that's yeah. one of the things I really like about Drobo, and also the fact that no other solution like this, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Alex, but I don't think that you can, on any RAID system, you can't use 
drives of differing sizes, can you? I don't think, usually when we build raids, we don't even build drives of different manufacturers. Yeah. I mean, let alone different sizes. Yeah, you, you don't do it anywhere else. And, it, you know, really what's happening is you have a little Linux processor. And, I mean, they're really like doing the, it's, it's like a little computer. So you're really interfacing with this little computer, and it's managing all that stuff for you. And uh, it's great little, I mean, it's just, um, yeah, I don't know what I do without it. We, we keep a lot of our, you know, we've, we've got a bunch of them. So I've got my personal stuff split between two. And then we've got, uh, we keep all of our assets that we, you know, need to use on a day-to-day basis that we want to make sure are available to everyone, um, you know, uh, on, on these Drobos. And it's just, uh, just a really great storage solution. It's so, like having uh, a, an IT guy 24 hours a day watching your stuff. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I, could, I could use one of those. And we'll get you $25 off your next USB or Firewire Drobo purchase if you just go to drobo.com slash TWIP. That's This Week in Photography, the acronym for that, TWIP, T-W-I-P. And we thank Drobo for their support. And we highly suggest checking that out. So we've got a couple uh, listener questions here. Um, they uh, One of the first questions, uh, this is from Lawrence Dorch, and uh, he said he's very int- uh, very interested. Uh, he said... Uh, He's trying to figure out a uh, legal and ethical question about the, the Canon 5D Mark II shooting video. I shoot professionally and cover mostly sports, pro basketball, but also some concerts. And when I get credentialed uh, for both, I am credentialed as a still photographer. So what problems does this present if I now have the ability to shoot high-quality HD video with my still camera? If I purchase one of these new DSLRs with video, am I going to find that I am prohibited from bringing it to an arena or concert hall as an attempt to prevent uh, the shooting of unauthorized video? It's a great question, and I think it's going to be one one of those things that starts really uh, becoming an issue. Steve, yeah, what do you cred- do? You have any input I on think, that? Yeah, sure. the The credential people, I think, are are probably uh, going to be the last to know on this. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I think that uh, you know, definitely, um, you know, as we know, professional sports is so tightly controlled, and and you know, I'm not a sports shooter. I know there are people out there that are probably better will better answer this question, but um, I had I had heard that because of the, the the tightness of control, and it's just it's just sort of squeezing photographers more and more as to what they can do, because a lot of these um, professional sports organizations have deals with with Getty, or they they themselves control all the the images that are being made. So I suspect that video will definitely be added uh, you know, to the, the, the contracts that photographers sign that allow them to cover this stuff. But in the meantime, I mean, if you've got the camera and you're shooting it, uh, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's anybody's guess. I, I suspect, of course, that they're not going to want to see stuff out there competing with the stuff that they do. But, you know, in, in some ways, you know, hey, this is, uh, it's, it's David against Goliath. So, um, you know, let's, let's Let's wait and see what happens, but you can you can bet that it will it will definitely be tightly controlled, and they'll they'll go after you. I, I mean, yeah, say. I think that not only they'll go after you, but the first couple of people who do it, you know, might get away with something like that, and then then after that, the credential people will know a lot about it. Exactly. My, my advice is if you're shooting, if you're only authorized to shoot stills, and you decide to sh- shoot some video, you make a lot of little. <laughs> noises. <laughs> That's very good, Ron. You've got you've been practicing. And, and and the uh, the other thing is, I think that I mean, you can probably shoot video and get away with having some for your own personal use. But I think that I would not put it anywhere that looks like the public if I'm licensed for one thing. And you know, it, I mean, the, the other interesting part of it, of course, is that you you can shoot video and then extract stills out of it. And if it's really something where you know you're you're willing to have the slightly lower quality, but you want to be grabbing. 24 frames a second because you're not quite sure when the action is going to happen. Uh, yeah, there's some validity to doing that. I think. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. that'll be that'll be my story. I'm sticking to it. <laughs> but I think it'll be hard because even that resolution is going to be at, at MP4 is going to still be pretty low. Uh, you know, even coming out of the Mark uh, out of the Mark II. So the um, uh, so I think that that's you know. I, but I do think it's it's going to be an issue because I think that you know three, four, five years from now, I don't think you're going to buy a camera that can't shoot video. You don't. I don't think that's that's even. I mean, you know, a thought process. I think going through most of these companies, I think they're all just transferring over there, except for like maybe. You know, some kind of uh, artsy, you know, artsy photo, you know, uh, specialty cameras. I think almost everything's going to be capable of that. So uh, another question here we have. Uh, curious, what kinds of papers are, uh, are other listeners? What uh, what kind of paper are people using? It says, I, this is from Ian Nelson. He said, I am new to printing and just uh, bought an Epson 1400 wide format inkjet printer. And I just bought some Ilford uh, premium photo glossy paper that is very good. Uh, but I want to see what other people are using. At Calumet, they have a ton of paper ranging from 1999 for a 20 pack of A3 paper to 149.99 uh, for a 20 pack. Now, Scott, what do you suggest? I think... You know, I've had the very best results in my career, and I've tested 100 papers probably. I've had the very best results in my career when I use the paper that comes from the manufacturer. Now, you certainly don't have to, but Epson makes some very nice paper. And I use their their fine art papers, and they have a bunch of really nice new ones. And the the advantage of using them is that they offer tremendous profiles that come with the paper. So if you're using Epson inks and Epson paper, you get a profile that as long as you've gone and, and used a colorimeter on your, your monitor and you've got a profile on the monitor you can match, you will get very good matches from screen to print. And it'll be very, very realistic and it'll look the way you hope it looks. And the, the paper stands up. I've been testing these papers forever. Now, I used to use some papers from Hannah Mule from Germany that were really quite good, but I think some of the new Epson papers surpass that. So that's what I use. I use all Epson stuff, and I use the the wide gamut of Epson papers just depending on what I need to do. What are, I've used Epson Canvas on the large format printers even. It, it just really depends on what the client wants. Great. Last question here for the day. This is from, and I'm going to apologize for trying to say this name and not saying it well, but I think it's uh, Jacques Albert de Blasio. And um, he is asking, he had a question about glossy screens. So he asked us from a photographer's point of view, what do we think of these glossy screens? Um, and, uh, and he said, and yes, my question is heavily related to the new MacBook Pro from Apple. I'm looking forward to hearing your opinion. Back, best regards, Jacques Albert. Um, so, uh, what do you guys think? What do you do? You guys use glossy screens? Do you like them? I have, do you not I like have them? a glossy screen on my laptop. You, um, ha- you have one? Yeah. So you know, I, I, I went through the same thing, and I know you've gone through this too, Alex. And you sort of feel like you would you would never get a glossy. I, I went back and forth a lot too, and I you know, I looked at them side by side in the store, and I mean the glossy screen is a little sharper. It's a little, you know, punchier, a little contrastier. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of glare if you've got the light wrong. I, I went ahead and went with it, and I don't regret it. Uh, you know, it's just a matter of, there are, yeah, there's times where, you know, you get an annoying light in the wrong position. But, it, you know, this is on a laptop, and it's easy for me to kind of change the angle a little bit and, and shift around a little bit. And then a lot of time, you know, I'm not in a ultra bright environment so i guess some of it sort of depends where you're using it you know for me most of my laptop usage is probably laying on the couch and i can control the light behind me and and so it's not a big issue but i think you kind of have to talk about or think about where you're going to be using it primarily 
Like we don't we don't have a choice anymore with the new laptops, and I think a lot of people were a little bit thrown by that, especially photographers, because you know the word on the street was, and and you've got one, Ron, so you know you're you're better to to talk about it. But you know the idea that in bright light, it's you really have to get the right angle to see a glossy screen versus a matte a little better, and that in the shadow areas you're not going to see as much detail than you would uh, on a matte screen. You know that being said, I don't know how absolutely true that is but obviously apple knows the market and they know there are a lot of photographers out there which is uh i don't know how important that is to them I, i'm sure it is and they they opted to um to not offer the the matte option which uh you know it, it'll we'll, we'll, life will go on and and these new machines do look pretty pretty amazing so well and one of the things that i uh was uh, uh educated by by my twitter uh group <laughs> the, the the twitter uh the twitterati as i'd like to call it. i love twitter i love twitter we that's love steve it. talking twitter <laughs> steve is steve is sold on the on the on the twitter <laughs> so it's he, a lot of fun yeah steve steve thought we were all nuts you know he was just yeah, like oh, we I forced him to I, I physically signed him up myself and then sent him the password <laughs> <laughs> how many how many, really fo- how many followers do you have now steve Oh, I think I have like a 460 or something uh, like you, that. And that I, I take as a responsibility. They're like my children. I shouldn't say that. He starts, okay. he starts some, uh, you'll be getting some requests for money here any day. <laughs> Steve likes to start all his Twitters with, uh, hello, children. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so the, um, but I was informed when I said, oh, I don't, because I'm, I'm pretty anti-gloss. Uh, you know, I, I don't like reflections at all. And uh, I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to buy the MacBook Pro until I can, until I figure out who's going to make a, a, a uh, a matte finish. And there's evidently a bunch of them. I'm not going to get into them right now. We'll try to put them in the show notes. But the, my, the Twitterati uh, very quickly sent me like four different links to different uh, companies that make stickers already for the new Mac, uh, the MacBook, the new MacBook Pro uh, that you can just stick on and on top of protecting it. Uh, it will um, it'll make it mad. <laughs> so if you're if you're committed to that, uh, you can still do it. Uh, coming up next week, uh, we're going to think of something. Couple, a quick thing. <laughs> Go to yep. the store and compare it, but also there's a, apparently a big difference between the glossy screens on the MacBook versus the MacBook Pros. It's not just hmm. it's not the same technology. Oh, I've, so check it out. I've seen some stuff online that, that shows that there's a pretty big difference, and the Mac Pros are much better screens. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the other thing that I'd be curious to hear if you guys know, because, you know, they're talking about these great new graphics cards and the fact that there are two, or graphics processors, there's two of them in it, but I've also heard that the sort of graphics intensive one, in order to get to it, it's it's not an automatic switch. You almost have to log out of the operating system. Has anyone uh, played with this or, or is aware of it? I haven't played with it yet, but I, I think, it, I don't think you have to log out of the operating system, but I do, I don't think... No, I just think you have to be using software like CS4 or Aperture. Which I do think you have to manually switch hard- it on, though. I do think you have to turn it on. I think it's okay. hardware. Yeah, the hardware acceleration stuff will take advantage of that stuff automatically, the way I understand it. But we'll find out on the 20th, because I'll have mine. Excellent. 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 As I said, we're going to think of something for next week. And the minimum is a bunch of us are going to sit around and talk about photography, which is usually, <laughs> usually kind of fun. So our tip of the week uh, comes from uh, a listener. This is from uh, Carl Stanwicki, and he said, I don't know if you uh, accept listener tips, but I have an important one I'd like to pass on. When taking family photos or video, be sure that the camera gets passed to other people uh, to take some shots that include the primary family photographer. I'm passing this on because I recently went through thousands of family photos from the past 40 years and noticed 
my mother appeared in a very small percentage of photos compared to my father. Why? Because she was the primary family member who took all the snapshots. The family films and the videos uh, would show would show the opposite, uh, where my father would uh, be in hardly any shots. So even if you have have to set up the camera to auto and pass it on to Uncle Bob, it's worth it uh, if the collection of family photos uh, photos documents all of the family members thoroughly. What a great tip! That is a fantastic tip. You know, I, I uh, it really I, I was just thinking about it because I'm the you know I'm the family photo. <laughs> I think part of the reason that I became the family photographer from the time I was a kid was I didn't want to be in the pictures, and uh, and so <laughs> so I did that. But I, I had a friend. Um, uh, one of the uh, people that works with us, Carolyn Stamping, who is um, a uh, uh, works at the Pixel Core. Uh, she manages a lot of the member services, and uh, she is an incredible photographer, just a really incredible photographer. And um, and uh, so she was hanging out with uh, me and Malachi, or Malachi and I, to say it properly. And we were out playing, and you know, I realized that I had almost no photos of me with my son. And and the photos just were gorgeous. I mean, just and I was so glad, you know, because it's really hard for me to hand my camera to, to Carlita because she's, uh, you know, she just doesn't understand. You know, I don't even know how to set it to an auto function that would make sense. <laughs> like I, I don't. Thought know. Gonna, I thought you were going to tell us that you handed the camera to the boy. Yeah, no. Well, yeah. The, the person go, that I hand the camera to, you go, son, take a picture of me and your mom. You know, my older son, my older, my older son, who's uh, eleven. Um, he is. He's a great photographer. If I, I, I hand every time I'm at a family function, I hand him the camera because, uh, from a natural point of view, I mean, he's not trained yet, but from a from a pure talent point of view, he's actually better, much better than I am. Um, he, what he ta- the pictures he takes, you know, you, you, uh, you know, he just has this incredible eye, and so, uh, so I hand my camera off to him. I don't change any of the settings. I just let him run with it, and. Uh, um, but the um, um, but I know that I know that it was really great for me to have uh, you know have these uh, photos of myself and it, it's an incredibly good tip of the week. I think Malachi will be doing the camera stuff by the time he's two. Yeah, no, I'm already I'm already looking at the I'm looking for you know, uh, you know good what that cameras. reminded me of. I, you ever had a wedding where they set up kind of like a photo booth and then people come and take their own pictures? Mm-hmm. That's that's a really kind of wonderful thing in those kind of group settings, and you get some really kind of fun fun things from it. Uh, and and everyone you know wants to do it, and everyone gets their their picture taken. So and I have just, to admit, I, I'm just like Alex and Aaron who left us a note on this. I'm the guy that likes to take the camera because I don't want to be in the picture, <laughs> right. but. When we were, Steve and I were running the Aperture Nature Photography Workshop at um, Grand Teton National Park, some of my favorite photos were a bunch of the group photos that were taken of Steve and I and Martin from Apple and, and Scotty Stuhlberg and some of the, you know, we were all the pros hanging out and even with some of the students. And I have to admit, I really got a kick out of looking at those pictures. So th- this, this tip really grabbed me. I, I think it's really good. Yeah. Yeah, and I think photographers, you know, it, it's if you ask a, a hundred of them, uh, most of them would feel the way you just described, Scott. But at the same time, you know, when you're in the picture and you see the pictures, uh, yeah, you're kind of happy that you you are there as well. Um, you know, and that's the other thing. You, you, family members, like I was the firstborn, my sister was the secondborn. She came three years later. There's, you know, hundreds of pictures of me. There's three shots of my sister. You know, <laughs> it it kind of lost interest in photography, not in my sister. But you know, it's just the way it went. Yeah, yeah. No, I, and I—that's always the thing when I'm around my my kids. Um, 
is that you know it's always I, I have the camera around almost all the time, and that's the other thing is just to have the camera around. But that's a whole other tip. But the uh, but I think this is a fantastic one and one that uh, I, I'm not in very many photos. And there's a huge blackout of most of my <laughs> most of my life, mostly because I was always the person taking photos, and so and, and I like it that way. I mean, that's the way I kept it for a long time. So, um, but um, but I do think it's a it's a great great tip. If you have a tip, uh, make sure to go up to twitphoto.com and send it to us. It's great to get these tips from uh, listeners. I think this one um, will uh, benefit everyone. So if you have one, a tip like Carl's, uh, make sure to go up to twitphoto.com and, uh, and send us an email. So uh, anyway, uh, I think uh, we are we're done with this mess. Steve, where can people find you? Twitter. Twitter. <laughs> Steve, uh, Steve is... Twitter, Steve Simon. It's, what is Steve it? Simon. It's Steve Simon I, at Twitter? Uh, I think it's just my name uh, with Simon? no spaces. Uh, how it does is. it work? It's, yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's just Vaughn is my, my Twitter uh, coach. And uh, so it's just uh, Twitter Steve Simon. Is that correct? Yes. yes. And, and, okay. and just know you'll get all these Twitters. Says, Hello, children. For those of you that have never done Twitter before, you can go to twitter.com slash Steve Simon and get to it. And, and and can, have, have listened to us over these many months saying Twitter, Twitter, and like, what the heck is this? Just go to <laughs> twitter.com slash Steve Simon or slash Ron Brinkman with two N's. Or slash Alex Lindsay. Chuck Swinley or, or slash Scott 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 We're simple Twitterites. Yes. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of people that have complex Twitters. I did try to get Joe the plumber, but it was already gotten. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would have had a lot of fun with that one. I'm paying more taxes again today. Uh <laughs> <laughs> so the uh, so anyway, until next week, you can put that Latin cap right back on. 